we pray this message blesses and encourages you. Thanks, Lena. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. Nicholas, thank you so much. No Great job. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, wasn't the worship amazing? That's just so good. And thank you so much. Um, I was, I was just where we're, where we're worshiping and, and the, the last song, I think Julia led it and, and just her voice and the, the truths that were being sung was just so powerful. But then I was so grateful for just looking at the guys on the cameras here. I'm thinking of the guys in the sound desk, the guys up in the media room, the guys on the welcome, the connect. There's guys here before anyone else who put together food for those who are serving. And I'm just so grateful for the body of Christ um, and the different people who serve just even to make a Sunday morning happen. So can we give everyone who's been serving just a big round of applause because we're so grateful. We, it's, it's just, we have a pre-service prayer time and it was just grateful just seeing the room back there packed and then uh, cleaning got everyone into groups of three and just hearing the, everyone praying together for God's blessing on this day. Um, and we're, we're blessed. We really are blessed um, in this church. If you've just arrived, you're so welcome to St. Mark's. Um, if you've just joined in online, you're so welcome. We are continuing our series, uh, our series, sorry, called the, the Storyteller. And everyone loves a good story. I don't know about you, but I love a good story. I love when I get a book. I'm not big into books, but when I get a good book and, and you get into a story, you can't put it down. You know I mean, it's just like, and, and you'd be like up till 12 o'clock, one o'clock, and you'd be like, just one more page. Like, I know I have to get up early in the morning, but you, you just want to, like, you get a good story. And that's why I love how Jesus used stories and the parables is what we're looking at in the book of Matthew. Jesus would use these stories to bring about a truth. He would want to be teaching something. And so this is why we're looking at these stories because they're, they're so profound. Um, and this morning, I'm going to share a well-known story, um, a well-known parable. It's the parable of the lost sheep or the parable of the wandering sheep. Um, and this is found, it's not only found in the book of Matthew, uh, which we're focusing on in our series, but it's also found in Luke's gospel as well. And so what I wanted to do before we get into the message, I wanted to read out both accounts of this story. And I wanted to read out not just the story, but I wanted to read out the context of who Jesus was speaking to in both accounts. Because the, the no, that's me. No, I had my phone. I was like, that's my phone ringing. Um, but it, it, when, when we read the Bible, and you'll hear us say this, all the time. When you read a passage in the Bible, it's so important that you read it in the context that it was written in. So like sometimes people take a verse and, and they make a doctrine or they make a theology out of one verse. And that's very dangerous. It's very dangerous to do that. So what you need to do is to read the context of the story in the, in the, the part of the Bible that's in. And so it's in Matthew or Luke's gospel. But then you also read that, that Matthew or Luke's gospel or that book in the context of the whole Bible. And so we have to understand what is it that God is wanting to communicate to us through his word? Because God could have communicated anything. I mean, he could have taught us how light refracts or something. I don't even know what that means, but I know it's a scientific phrase. God could have taught us that. He could have taught us about time or different things, but he didn't. There was a message all through the Bible, and it's the salvation. It's, it's God's heart to rescue and to redeem 
all of mankind and all of creation. And so when we're reading these stories, we have to always keep it in the context of what we're reading. I'm going to read from uh, Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 18. The words are going to be on the screen. Um, so let's read it together. And here's what I want you to do in both accounts. Just take a, a note of who Jesus is telling the story to, because we're going to look at that, and then we're going to look at the story. Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the, th because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come. But woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, then cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that know that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, there are angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for that one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Father, thank you for your words. It is alive and active. And Lord, I pray for all of us in this room and all of us listening online that you would speak to us through your words and that it would bring transformation and it would bring life and hope and encouragement into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This is one of the best-known parables. It's one of the best-known stories that Jesus tells. And it's a great description of God's heart and God's love towards us, that God is ultimately the one who is pursuing us and pursuing you. When someone comes to faith, you'll always often hear the phrase of, he's found Jesus. Has anyone ever heard that phrase? Oh, he's found Jesus. And so, I remember someone saying that to me. I think it was one of my brothers when they were slagging me because I've become a Christian. Ah, he's found Jesus. 
is different. The reality is I didn't find Jesus because Jesus was never lost. Jesus found me is the truer statement. I was the one that was lost. Jesus wasn't lost. I was lost. He found me. He found me in a pit. He found me in a place of desperation, of no hope. He found me in a place of addiction. He found me in a place of depression and a place of loneliness. And he rescued me. I did not come looking for him. He came looking for me. And so the better description is that I didn't find Jesus. He found me. He found me. I was that one sheep that wandered off. The message, the title of my message this morning is simply called The Pursuit of God. For those of you that are a bit older in the Lord, and you may have remembered a great classic from A.W. Tozer, literally with that name called The Pursuit of God. And A.W. Tozer, a great man of God, wrote this book, and he bases it off um, one of the Psalms where it says, as the deer pants for the water, so does my soul pant for you, O God. And he talks about the longing in man's heart, the desire in man's heart to be connected with his creator. This longing deep within us that we try to fill with so many different things. We try to fill that void. A.W. Tozer talks about this longing, how we pursue after God. And it's there in all of us. We have this desire, this need to be connected back to our creator. We believe that we, we were created by God and we were created for God. And until we're back in that relationship with God, nothing makes sense. But when we're back in that relationship with God, everything begins to make sense. Our lives, our purpose, our why we're here on planet Earth, all of it makes sense in the relationship with God. But this morning's message, I don't want to speak about how our heart is longing after God, but more how God's heart is longing after you. How God's desire is towards you. How the love of the Father is after you today. I want to look at these two stories on purpose to sort of see why was Jesus telling this story? Because again, we could take the story on its own and it is a powerful story, but why was Jesus sharing this story to his audiences? What was the purpose in him sharing it? And I want to look at the, the different audiences before I get into the story. And so the first audience is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It says these guys were grumbling. He was the, the sinners and the tax collectors and all the people were gathering around Jesus. But Jesus heard the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttering and grumbling and muttering. And, and so then he began to tell this story. If you read the Gospels, you will find out very quickly that these guys did not like Jesus at all. He was upsetting their status quo. He was rocking their boat. And for them, their boat was a cushy little number. These guys had become the gatekeepers of God. They were the ones who controlled the temple. They controlled how the law and how the Bible was interpreted. They created so many roadblocks by adding to the law all these sub-laws and, and rules. And so you had the Ten Commandments and then the Pharisees and the teachers all added on and added on and added on. And soon there was like 400 and something extra rules in order for people to literally just even come into contact with them or in contact with God. And so they created so many roadblocks and, and, they, and, and Jesus comes along and he is literally just breaking it all open. And they did not like it because he was rocking the boat too much. And so they're always out to try and get him. They were benefiting and they prospered from religion while others were left hungry physically and spiritually. And so here's the question I have for us as believers. For if you're in this room and, or if you're watching at home and you are a follower of Jesus, do we create roadblocks or do we create access points for people to meet with God? 
Do we create opportunities or when people come in contact with us as a follower of Jesus, do they see in my life a big no? A big you're not good enough. A big you're not welcome. A big you're not able. You need to do this, 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 and this before you can even think of coming into what God has for you. Or do we create access points? Do you know Sunday mornings in this place, Pastor Sean, um, everything, everything that happens on a Sunday morning is created to create access points. Everything. You know, we are so uh, uh, um, aware of even the people who are on the car park. That their role isn't just to help someone car park a car. Their role is to create an access point. So that when, they, that when people arrive into our church, they get welcomed. They get met with smiles. They get met with, you're so good to see you. You're so welcome. Can I help you find a seat? The teas and coffees are access points for conversations to happen about what God is doing. The music, the worship is creating a space for all of us to come and to sing our praises to Jesus because we believe the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And so when we are singing praises to him, God is literally in the room. I know we sing it, Jesus the healer's in the room. He really is in the room. He is here in the midst of us. And so we're creating this place and this space for everyone to come and to meet with Jesus. No matter where you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've come from last night, our heart and our desire is for you all to meet with Jesus. Because when you meet with him, he changes everything. Now we can, we can, we can either be roadblockers or we can be people who make access points. We can be people who open the way. I would rather be a person who opens the way, who makes an access point for God and for people to meet with God. Here's some of the things that Jesus called the Pharisees. <laughs> when you read these, do you ever have a picture of Jesus and he's very timid, he's very quiet? Do you ever see some of the pictures of Jesus that was painted throughout the Renaissance? And he looks very pale and placid and very calm and just like, a, I have to be honest, sometimes he looks like a weakling. The Jesus in the Gospels is not a weakling. You did not want to mess with this Jesus. And when you mess with him, here's some of the things, you hypocrites. Six times he calls out these teachers of the law. In modern day, pastors, leaders, these people who are meant to be feeding the flock, Jesus, the great shepherd, calls them out in front of heaven, you hypocrites, you fools, you blind I love this one. You whitewashed tombs. <laughs> On the outside, you looked great. On the outside, you said the right thing. You prayed the right prayers in front of the group, in front of the crowd. But in your heart is evil intent and badness. There's death inside of you. You're a whitewashed tomb. You stink of death. You smell of death. Your words are death. You don't bring life. You bring death. This is what he's telling to the religious leaders of his day. No wonder they were out to get him. You brood of vipers, you children of hell. He didn't pull any punches. He wasn't worried about, oh, Jesus, that's very offensive. You can't say that. That's offending me. He was passionate about people coming to his father. He was passionate 
There's a scene in the Bible where they're, they're, these people are making rules and regulations to go into the temple and, and they're selling because people would come and they'd offer sacrifices and the poor couldn't afford some of the times to even have something to offer a sacrifice. So these guys were selling animals in the temple and they were selling them at exorbitant prices in order to make money. And Jesus literally sees this and he gets a whip and he upends the tables and he starts whipping them. Get out of my father's house. He was passionate about these things. We should be passionate about these things that we create access points for people and not roadblocks for people. And so this is who Jesus is telling this, the, this story to. Here's the challenge. We can be a Pharisee or we can be a disciple. The Pharisees were always twisting the truth. They would take the truth and they would twist it, trying to trick people, trying to trap people, trying to trap Jesus. A disciple, though, is someone who is trying to seek after the truth. A disciple is someone who has a humility and they are wanting to learn from the master and they're wanting to come. And so that's why Jesus is telling this story. There's another time Jesus tells, tells the parables and, and the disciples ask him about, what about the teachers? And he says, forget them. Forget about them. They don't want to hear. They don't have ears to hear. So he tells his disciples, don't worry about them because they want to, basically they want to twist my words. They want to... You're, you're seeking after truth. And so these, I'm going to explain the, the, the parables to you. I'm going to show you what they really mean because you're seeking after them. And so I want to be someone who is a truth seeker, a disciple. And so Jesus, knowing that they were muttering, tells this story. The second audience that he tells this story are the disciples in Matthew. And the disciples are having this conversation and they're saying, and they're asking Jesus, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, who's the best in the room? It's me, isn't it? You can whisper, you can tell me, Lord. Don't tell the others. I'm, I'm the better preacher than Sean, am I? Sean's probably watching online. I, I, it's me, isn't it, Lord? I'm the greatest. And this, I love, I love the humanity in the disciples. Again, sometimes we visit churches and you see the statues of Paul or John or Luke and the different, the different disciples. But yet you read the Gospels and you see the humanity of them. You see all of the thoughts, the conversations, the ideas that obviously none of you have because you're all really good people, but that the other churches say have. I mean, not St. Mark's because we're perfect. But you, mean, you just hear them going like, who, who's going, who, who'll, be, who'll be elevated? Who'll be the greatest? And, and this, this is a conversation that happens a few times. In, in Luke's gospel, the disciples are literally arguing about this. They're not even asking Jesus. They are having a fight. <laughs> They're having a go at each other. Not you, Mark, Luke, and John are getting it on. And they're like, kind of, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the first. And then in, in, later on in Matthew's gospel, actually, John and James, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, they're called. They get their mom to go to Jesus and ask. And so their mother goes to Jesus and asks for a favor. And the favor is, can my son sit at your right hand? And the other disciples hear about this and they're fuming, which it would be. Can't believe you got your ma to go to him. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Man, will you have a word with Jesus? Will you? Come on. You, he knows you. He, he, he likes you. you. You have a little whisper in his ear because we all want to be the greatest. We all want to be seen. We all want to be known. And yet, and, and in this 
context, and this is why it's so important in the context, is, is Jesus takes this little boy, and I love this. He takes this little boy, and he brings this little boy into the middle of the conversation. And he says to him, unless you become like this little child, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of heaven, let alone be the greatest. Unless you become like this little child, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you see, here's the, here's the difference. We can, be, we can want to be great. And there's, 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 there, there's something in us wanting to grow and wanting to be fruitful and wanting, and that's a godly thing. But when that godly thing becomes twisted and becomes a worldly thing, it's about me being great rather than about him being great. And, and writing about his kingdom advancing, it can easily transfer into my kingdom advancing. And here's a little says, have ever praying for revival? We just sung it there. Julie led us in that song, revival, revival. What happens if God pours out revival, but it's actually not here, it's the church down the road? <laughs> oh, but Jesus, I, I wanted you to pour out revival here. <laughs> I meant I should have been more specific in my prayers. I wanted it to be about Pastor Des and the great revival that he led in Dublin in 2023. And this is a litmus test because it's a, if, here's, if, if, if we want to be great in man's eyes, then you can climb the ladder. Did you, ever, did you ever hear that phrase? You just need to climb the ladder. Climb the ladder of success. And when you're climbing the ladder, you don't care who you're standing on. You don't care who you're pushing off. You don't care who's in the way. Someone's in front of you, you're pulling them down because they're in your way and you need to be. And this was the heart of the disciples in this moment. Not all the time because these men went on to transform their known world with the gospel. But in this moment, Jesus is teaching them what it means to be great in the kingdom. You see, to be great in the kingdom, even if there is a ladder, here's what the ladder would, here's what would happen in the ladder. It would be someone going down and, su and, and submitting and say, hey, let, let, let me clean it. Can I help you up? Can I, can, I, can I give you a Lego? Can I, can I, can you, come on, you, we're, we're going up, we're, we're climbing up. But there's a submission to each other that we are encouraging each other and lifting each other up. But this is not what the disciples, they're literally going like, who will be the greatest? Will it be me? And Jesus places this little boy and he says, unless you become like him. You see, to be great in the, in the kingdom of God is, it's simply about being obedient to what the father's saying. But Lord, I'm not seeing I'm not seen in the sound desk. I'm not seen up in the media room. I'm not seen in the, in the coffee shop. I'm not seen as an SNA in the, in the classroom. The teacher gets more of the, I'm not seen. And maybe man doesn't see you, but I can tell you now, your father in heaven sees you. And I would rather be great in his eyes than be great in your eyes. Because the praise of man is fleeting. The praise of man is here one day and it's gone the next. And even with Jesus, as we see in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, they're all crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Glory to the king. Glory to he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. Three days later, the same crowd is crying, crucify him, crucify him. The praise of man is so fleeting. Don't go after the praise of man. Go after the glory of God. Allow your life to be a reflection of his glory and allow your life, no matter who sees you, no matter who thanks you, no matter who give, gets the, the glory or the praise down here, as long as he gets the praise, as long as he's exalted in and through your life, that is what the heart of this is. This is why Jesus is saying, unless you become like this little child, 
There's being childlike and then there's being childish. And this is in no way is an exhaustive list, but here's some of the things that being childlike is. Being childlike is being trusting. So Jesus is saying, unless you are trusting, like I have two children, Jack is, is 12, he's 12 teen, he's like, he's, he's, he's hit his teenage years before. Um, yesterday was, the, Jack normally gets up early. Um, yesterday, he was in bed till about half nine, due to God, I think Jack's a teenager. Literally overnight, he became a teenager. He's not getting out of bed, get away. Turn the light off. I'm like, that's the sun. Turn the sun off. <laughs> it's like, he's just, but he's still at that age and Kiva is still at that age where they still trust me. Do you know what I mean? No matter what I say, they're still trusting. They're still looking up to me and they're still going like, dad knows best. Jack is getting to the age where now we were watching Liverpool play and I'm there. You don't want to watch football with me, by the way, because I get very passionate and I shout at the screen and I'm like, and, and, and Jack is like, dad, you're wrong. And I go, what do you mean I'm wrong? That's the first time I've ever heard you say that. I'm right. And he goes, you're biased because it's Liverpool. It's not a penalty or it's not a free kick and it's not whatever. And he goes, I am biased, but don't ever say I'm wrong again. <laughs> but, but he's at that age now where he's becoming more into teenage years, where he's beginning to question, where the childlikeness of what you see, and, and that's right. I mean, he's, he's going to grow and he should be able to walk on his two feet and be able to. But when, we, when it comes to our relationship with our father in heaven, we should never go, Father, you're wrong. But sometimes we do, don't we? You don't know best. I know best. I know better than you do. But yet this is the childlike faith that God wants us to have is that we would be trusting in him and be like, God, you're, you're, you're right. You, you, you are always right. I don't understand this season. I don't understand why I'm going through this or what's going on, but I know you're right and I know you're good and I know you're faithful, so I'm going to keep trusting you because the opposite of trust the child is, is, is being suspicious. I don't know if you're right. I don't know if you're, can I trust if you're good? Can I trust that you have my best? And, and we become childish, dependent. Childlike is dependent. Our, my children are dependent on me to provide for them to care for them, to support them, to encourage them. I am dependent on my Father in heaven to do all of those things and so much more. And he is faithful. He is good and he will always, always never leave me or forsake me. The opposite is being independent. I don't need you. I can do this on my own. I have it figured out. Childlike is being faithful. I, I was thinking of this and again, I'm looking at my children when they were younger and particularly Kiva, she loves climbing. She's a bit of a tomboy and she always loved climbing trees and climbing walls and she wasn't into dolls or any of that stuff. She was just like wanting to get mucky and get climbing and all that and stuff. And she'd get up onto heights that she couldn't get down and I'd be going, just jump, I'll catch you. And she'd be like, I don't know about that. <laughs> and I'd be like, trust me, I'll catch you. In the back of my head, I'm going, please God, don't let this be the time I drop her. <laughs> you know, because like, that's going to be years I mean, 20 years' time, she'd be talking to our psychologist. It all began when my father dropped me. And I'm like, it was a mistake. I'm sorry. But I'm like, catch me. But yeah, our father in heaven will never, ever drop us. You don't have to fear that he's ever going to drop, drop you. He's not going to be there to catch you. He's not going to be there to support you. And this is the trust. And, and, and there's a fearlessness. And, and when, when, when I was there, when Kiba was that bit younger, she was climbing higher than, than she would normally climb because I was there. And every now and again, she'd look back and I'd be trying to climb, <laughs> trying to climb up after. <laughs> it was hard, some of the trees she climbed. But every now and again, she'd look back and she'd see me there and she'd go higher and she'd go higher. 
because she trusted her father was there if she slipped to catch her. Now, I being not a great climber and not a great catcher, how much more our Heavenly Father can we trust? And so there's a faith, there's a fearlessness. But when we don't, when we have a childishness, there's a, 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 we're, we're, we're fearful of it. There's a simplicity in our faith when we're childlike. Not, not, we're not that we're simple, but there's a simplicity in it. We keep it simple. Yet when we're childish, we make it all complicated. There's a teachability when we're childlike. And there's a know-it-all attitude when we're childish. And so these are the things that I believe God wants us to become. Greta Shea reminded me of, he put a post up, our Shea Phelan, who's down in our Connect team, he put a post up during the week. If you're friends with Shea on Facebook, befriend him, he's a great guy. Shea, you're going to get loads of friends now. <laughs> but he put this post up and he was reflecting on last week's uh, quarterfinal between Ireland and South Africa. And at the end of the game, Johnny Sexton, who's retiring from football, retiring from rugby, was walking off the pitch and his young son was walking off with him. And you can't hear, but you can lip read what his young son says. He just looks up and he simply says, Dad, you're still the best, as he's holding his son's hand, as his dad's hand. And, and to be childlike in the midst of whatever you're going through, and Shay reflect on this in his post, it's a beautiful post. In the midst of whatever you're going through, sometimes we just need to grab hold of the Father's hand and say, Father, you're still the best. I'm going through hell on earth here, but you're still the best. I'm struggling, but you're still the best. I don't see a way through, but you're still the best. I feel like I've lost this day, but you're still the best. And that's the childlike faith that we need to have. And it's in this context, then Jesus tells the story to the Pharisees and then also to the disciples. And the story is the parable. It's called the parable of the wandering sheep or the parable of the lost sheep. It's not called the parable of the rebel sheep. <laughs> this sheep didn't decide, you know, I'm just going to rebel against all the other sheep. Had enough of hanging out with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna do bad things. I'm going to be evil. I'm going to have evil intent. I'm going to wreck the place. I'm going to destroy the place. I'm just out to just... It's, it's not called the parable of the bad sheep. I'm not even sorry about that one. <laughs> Been waiting 20 minutes to say that joke. <laughs> I'm not even sorry. <laughs> you have to get a pastor's joke in somewhere, don't you? <laughs> or a dad joke. That's one of the best things about being a dad is the dad jokes. My kids hate it when I picked them up from school. <laughs> but it's not the parable of the bad sheep. It's the parable of the wandering sheep or the lost sheep. And what I love about that is there's sometimes I find myself in a place where I'm like, and I feel far from God. And I don't even know how I got here. Do you ever, do you ever find yourself somewhere and you're going like, how did I even get here? How did I end up here? And, and as you retrace your steps or reach, you, you, you see maybe decisions you've made or, or decisions you didn't make. Like Kleena made a great point this morning about we all got up this morning and we made the decision to come to church. We made the decision to get out of bed and to come to church. I remember talking to someone who was going through a really tough time with sickness and also in their health. And, and they hadn't been to church in a while. And, and just met them for coffee just to reach out and see how they're doing and stuff. And they just said, like, I, don't want to, I, don't, I don't feel like going to church until I get a bit better. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. This is the place you need to be to get better. You need to, to make right decisions. But sometimes we make wrong decisions and we find ourselves off 
a bit or out of line a bit and we find ourselves a little bit away from the rest of the flock or from God's purposes in our life. And I don't know how I got here. And this parable is for us because it's the parable of the wandering sheep. The thing about sheep is that they wander. Even when they're, like, when they're grazing and, and they, they, they end up wandering off. Ever driving through the countryside in Ireland even, every now and again you'll come across a sheep just on its own, just standing on a ditch. And it's going, how did it get there? The rest of the sheep are miles off in the field. It just got distracted and it just wandered and it left. It left the rest, the safety. And you see, when we're on our own, and this is a tactic of the enemy constantly. The enemy, you know that the, 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 the mission statement of the enemy, Satan, is to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, that, that's, that's his plan. If you want to know what the devil's plan for us, it's to steal, to kill, and ultimately destroy who you are, your memories, destroy you as a father or as a mother, destroy you as a sister or a brother, or as a friend, as a work colleague, just to destroy your reputation and anything about you. That's his plan and purpose. And how he does that all the time, a lot of time is he gets us on our own. And he gets us to feel that no one cares and no one is interested and no one... And I just want to tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That there's so many people in your world that cares. So many people in your world that does want to know and does want to be involved and does want to help. But he gets us to wander and we end up away from the flock. And that's where the enemy can pick us off. Because sheep are also a defenseless animal. I always wondered why the Bible describes God's people as sheep. Number one, they're not the cleverest animal in the, in the, in the animal kingdom. I'm not the cleverest. I'll, I'll speak for myself then. But they're, they're, they're just not the cleverest. They, they, they wander. They, they, they're defenseless. Do you know if you, if you turn a sheep upside down on its back? I'm not telling you to do that, by the way. That's a weird thing to do. <laughs> Some of you are going, hmm. <laughs> but if a sheep ends up on its back, it can't get up without help. It's like a, a turtle on its back. It can't get up without help. You know, sheep as well, I heard this story that um, a, far, a farmer tied a, a rope across his barn door, a little rope just across, and the first few sheep ran out. They jumped over the rope, and then he cut the rope, and the rest of the sheep, as they were coming out the barn door, jumped over. No rope because they were just following. Sheep will follow whoever's leading them, by the way. That's why, you I mean, you hear a lot of people get into trouble and it's like, who were they with? They didn't, they didn't go out to break and entering or they didn't go out to do stuff. Do you mean, I didn't grow up, and when I was growing up, I didn't have a desire when I was eight or nine playing football. Do you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take drugs when I'm 12 and 13. I'm gonna get involved in taking people's motorbikes or breaking and entering houses. That wasn't something I did. No, I don't think anyone, most people don't decide that, but sometimes you end up with the wrong group and the wrong crowd and you end up doing stupid things that you never set out to do and hurting people that you never set out to hurt. And that's because you're following the wrong shepherd. And the sheep, were, uh, the sheep were, were, were literally jumping over this rope because they saw the others jumping over the rope. Here's the other thing about sheep is that they know their shepherd's voice. If, again, if you're walking in the countryside and you see sheep and you want to go and say hello to them, they'll run away because they don't trust you. They don't know you. But if the shepherd's there, you'll automatically, you'll see the sheep literally running towards the gate where the shepherd is or where the farmer is. We don't have shepherds, we have farmers. Where the farmer is. 
And you'll see them because they know he's bringing the food, he's bringing the water, he's the one that protects me. And so again, Jesus said that about his sheep, they'll know my voice. We know his voice, don't we? And we, we know it, but sometimes we ignore it and that's why we wander. And this is who this parable is for. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. Um, and we're just going to close out um, with just a simple, I suppose, challenge to us. There's, there's, there's a couple of challenges I want to leave with us this morning. The first one is if you are a follower of Jesus and you love Jesus and you're in this place, the challenge for me, even as a pastor, and in today's world and today's society, a religious leader, or to some people, even a Pharisee or a teacher of the law, the challenge to me is to make access points to God, not blockages, not to block the way. That's the challenge to all of us, I believe, that we would have lives that create conversations and lead people in conversations towards Jesus, not push people away from Jesus. Also, the challenge is for me to remain childlike and to not think that I know it all or I have it all or I'm un I understand it all. I don't. To have a sense of humility and to always hold on to that sense of trusting in my Father in heaven, even when I don't understand. Because a lot of time our children don't understand. And a great phrase that my mom taught me, and I promised I'd never use it, but then I had children and it was simply this, because I said so. So much of the times I didn't know, I didn't realize, I thought my mom hated me. Why can't I go out? All my mates are out, because I said so. But Paul's out and John's out. I'm not Paul or John's mom, I'm yours, because I said so. And sometimes the Father is leading us into a place or there's something going on in our lives and we don't understand. And we just have to trust because he said so. And he knows better and he knows best. This, the, the final thing is, and I'm going to ask us to stand as we close out in this song. What I love about this story of the parable of the lost sheep, both stories end with this statement. Then he called all his friends and his neighbors together and says this, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep. There's no sense of the shepherd rebuking the sheep. And by the way, there is teachings in the Bible of rebuke, so I'm not saying, but in this story, there's no sense of the shepherd having a go at the sheep. Why did you wander off? Why are you here? What did you do? Why did you do that? There's no sense of that. There's literally a picture of the shepherd picking the sheep up from its lost state and carrying it home to the safety. And as sheep, sometimes when we wander, we come back or we find ourselves back in the presence of God and we're all going, but Jesus, you don't know what I've done. I do. It's okay. Jesus, you don't understand who I've hurt or what I've said or who I've been with. I know. You don't understand. I've gone to the cross for that. And that's covered. That's covered. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying I've made it okay. I've covered you. I've rescued you. And there's a sense of rejoicing when the lost sheep comes back. And so I don't know who you are or where you're at in relation to God. I don't know what you were up to last night or even on the way in here or throughout the week. 
But maybe you're here today and you feel a little bit disconnected from the Good Shepherd. And I believe this day is literally designed for you. That the Good Shepherd is running after you to rescue you, to bring you back into that safe place in his presence and in his pen. And as the guys are leading us in this song, I simply would encourage you to respond in your heart to the shepherd as he runs towards you. And in a way, allow him just to rescue you. I can already hear the Pharisees. But Des, what about lifestyle? What about this? What about that? Yes, yes, yes. But can I just say, if that's what you're thinking, that's creating roadblocks for people to come to Jesus. Because when people come to Jesus, then he begins to work in our lives, doesn't he? Then he begins to say, Des, you know when you're smoking that stuff, it's not really good for you. So I don't smoke that stuff anymore. It wasn't the pastor here told me to stop smoking that stuff. It was the Holy Spirit in my life. Des, you know when you're watching that stuff, it's not really good for you. It's not edifying you. The Holy Spirit, you're right. Don't watch that stuff anymore. Because it's not edifying. It's not building me up. It's destroying me. And so yes, there is those teachings, but that's the Holy Spirit's role and the Word of God's role. I want to invite you this morning into salvation, into Jesus, so that you could come alive and you could find your purpose in God. So the guys are going to lead us in a song. And I want you to individually, wherever you're at, just respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Then Kleena will come back up and close out our service in prayer. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like any more information, please visit stmarkcity.ie. Have a very blessed week.